This is Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Glad to have you back for another CBF podcast. We do them every two weeks, and the title is Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. Today I'm joined by Rebecca Laprell. Rebecca is our Virginia Executive Director, and if that takes a little explaining, let me try. Uh, CBF works in the three primary Bay States. A lot of us, uh, a lot of the uh, listeners know there are six states in the Bay watershed, but Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia account for 85% of that watershed. So we have state offices in Harrisburg, Annapolis, and Richmond. And each of those state offices have a staff of 15 to 20 folks. And Rebecca Laprell is the executive director in Richmond, in our Virginia office. So welcome, Rebecca. And, and Rebecca, you're just past a, a one-year anniversary with CBF, uh, having followed longtime Virginia executive director Ann Jennings. And, and Rebecca's got a very interesting background. T- tell us a little bit about what you did before you came to CBF. Sure. Well, I do have a little bit of a unique background for CBF. I'm actually an environmental epidemiologist, so I come from the public health world. I worked previously at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention down in Atlanta and then came back to Virginia, where I'm from, and started working at the Virginia Department of Health about uh, seven years ago before I came to the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. So I care a lot about the public health connections to the Bay and the nexus between public health and restoring the bay. Something that's really important to me is that we all have access to clean water, and that's, to me, what a restored bay means. It's a, it's a great dimension and a really critical dimension to bring into the CBF fold. Uh, public health is something that is so... It, it, well, it's really two sides of the same coin in terms of environmental health and human health. So. Rebecca, you've added a, a great new dimension, as I say, to, to our world, and, and we're grateful for it. You, you just passed your one-year anniversary. I spent a little time with you in the Virginia General Assembly this past year, and you looked like you'd been there for decades. <laughs> well, well, thanks. <laughs> You're an old hand now. Well, thanks. So a lot of moving parts in the General <laughs> Assembly, that's for sure. And you, you get to know people, and it's all about building relationships, isn't it? Absolutely. So, Virginia's General Assembly, which is um, different from Maryland and certainly different from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has a year-round General Assembly. Maryland has a three-month-long, a 90-day General Assembly session every year. Virginia has both a long, which is actually shorter than Maryland's, and a short session uh, alternating because Virginia has a two-year budget, whereas Maryland, Pennsylvania, most other states have an annual budget. So this was the so-called short year for Virginia's General Assembly. How how many days, remind me? That's right. It's one of the shortest sessions in the country. And this year, because it was an odd number year, 2017, it was about 45 days. And the long session is about About 60 60 Mm -hmm. days, right. So this, we're, we're... We're three-quarters of the way through Virginia's current budget. I mean, sorry, three-quarters of the way through the first year of Virginia's budget, which is a two-year budget. And and, uh, as the General Assembly convened, 
they were looking at a pretty significant, significant deficit projection. That's right. Heading into session, we were faced with a $1.28 billion revenue shortfall. So we knew it was going to be a tough road. So that's a, a, about a $1.3 billion projected shortfall for the entire two ye- for the full two years, of which we're still in the first year, the fiscal year is running July 1 through June 30th. So I guess there was a lot of um, emphasis on cost cutting and not much interest in new revenue expenditures, if I could uh, generalize. That's right. It was going to be pretty difficult to find new um, investments in the state budget because of the shortfall. So how did we do? What we, well, let's let's start with what what were we? What was our legislative agenda going in, and how did we do? Well, despite the shortfall, our main goal heading into session this year was to secure a robust funding package for clean water in the FY FY eighteen state budget and. We knew it was going to be tough, but our goal was to ensure that the state still invested in two programs, Virginia's Agricultural Cost Share Program and Virginia's Stormwater Local Assistance Fund. And, well, these are the two primary state-funded programs that help us reduce pollution from entering the Bay in Virginia. And the first, the Cost Share Program, it provides financial and technical assistance for farmers willing to do their part to control runoff. And the stormwater program helps localities and local governments meet their clean water blueprint goals by matching the cost of on-the-ground conservation projects for things like wetlands reconstructions and rain garden type of projects. So in the end, the final budget that now goes to the governor to sign It contains $17 million in funding for farmers, unfortunately $0 for the Stormwater Local Assistance Fund that I just mentioned. And while it's disappointing, we're we're still thankful. Legislators still invested in one of the critical programs, and it was a down budget year. And I think we'll be in a much better position next year when state revenues are back up to advocate for that stormwater program because the state's going to need it. Well, well, good work. And and I've always been a glass half full type of person. Uh, the $17 million in Virginia alone for agricultural cost share to help farmers put the best management practices on their land, it's one of the most cost-effective, efficient ways of getting a pound of, re- of pollution uh, out of the flow to the rivers and streams and then on to the bay. So, that that's significant, and it it builds upon years of Virginia helping farmers uh, uh, add to the federal dollars which are available through the federal farm bill to do the things that they want to do, but quite frankly need financial assistance to do. That's good news. That's right. We consider it a a real win. And in terms of the. Uh, runoff from urban and suburban areas, the hardened surfaces, that's the one source of pollution which continues to grow. While every other source of pollution is declining, we still have a, a long way to go to get to real ecological balance. But this urban and suburban stormwater is continuing to increase in terms of the, the, the pounds of pollutants, critical that it be addressed. 
Agreed. It's going to be a tough nut to crack, and it's why it's so important that the state continues investment in what's called our Stormwater Local Assistance Fund. And that, that Stormwater Local Assistance Fund, similar to agricultural funds, monies to help municipalities do the right thing? Tell a little exactly. bit about a little more about what that, those, those uh, might be. So the Stormwater Local Assistance Program is a matching grant program, and it works pretty similar to the Agricultural Cost Share Program. It's a 50-50 match. Localities have to apply with shovel-ready type of projects. And if it's a good project, a project that's going to remove phosphorus from the bay, um, then it ends up getting funded. And last year, the program was actually oversubscribed. So we know that localities like this program, and it's going to be competitive to fund those projects in the future. And 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 the, that's the, there's some good. I'm always looking for good news. I admit there's good news there, and that the municipalities really are hungry to get this done. It it starts with federal law that actually requires it, going all the way back to the Clean Water Act from the 70s. But now it's starting to be adopted by the states as a key priority. I think, quite frankly, because the states see that they really will never clean up their tributary rivers and the bay's main stem without addressing municipal stormwater. So uh, we're going to be working on this for a long time. Um, I think we're moving in the right direction. And as you said, a lot of things in the legislature never happen the first year you try. So we'll, we'll be back next year. We'll build on it. We hope to have a more positive uh, revenue assessment in Virginia as well as the other states, and uh, I, I know you all will be there. What, what else were we working on uh, that uh, was not directly tied to, 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 to money, to the fiscal uh, situation? We were working on a lot of other issues, too. So there were several bills that were introduced that this particular session that sought to reduce or weaken our fisheries regulations in the state. And we worked extensively this session to make sure those fisheries protections still remained in place. And there was actually a really bad bill that was introduced this session that would have allowed watermen to transport dredging equipment over sanctuary oyster reefs. So as you know well, the oyster reefs are critical and it's a place where oyster populations can grow and thrive, and we knew it was important to defeat that bill, and we did. We defeated it in committee. We consider that a big win, and we worked on a lot of other fisheries issues this session. Um, some had, I would say, detrimental language in them that would have weakened penalties for folks that commit penalties in the water. and. Um, it's important to protect our natural resources, which is why we worked on those particular bills as well. Well, it just, I mean, it just over and over and over again, we realize how um, we must be vigilant uh, not only to, to not only have legislative agendas that protect or that, um, that push new and improved way of getting the bay fixed <laughs> to, be, to be fundamental, but also trying to protect what we've already achieved in the past. And uh, I, it never ceases to amaze me how you continue to have to fight rear guard actions even when you think you've, you've got a good policy in place. So 
well done and congratulations. Those are those are real victories. Yeah, well, it was it was a team effort, and I will say, apart from fisheries, um, something exciting to us was when we saw that several bills were introduced this session to compel the city of Alexandria to address its combined stormwater and sewage system. And as you know, Virginia has three old CSO systems left. One's in Richmond, one's in Lynchburg, and the other one is still in the city of Alexandria. And um, the CSO system during heavy rains, and I care a lot about this issue from a public health perspective, um, the CSO system can discharge both stormwater and untreated or partially treated sewage into the Potomac during heavy rain events because of the nature of the design of the system. So it's something we supported this session and several bills were introduced. Uh, One came out of conference and ultimately it's gonna go on to the governor for signature. So we're excited about that piece of legislation. That's that's huge. And for, for those of our listeners who uh, read the Washington Post, live in the in the Washington metropolitan area, this has been heavily covered. It, it, it almost is hard to believe in, in the 21st century, a major uh, metropolitan area like Alexandria, Virginia, uh, being allowed through a, a sort of technicality in the pollution uh, laws to discharge uh, raw sewage uh, as a com- through a combined uh, overflow situation, and that that um, addressing that and making progress against that uh, is is huge. So well done on that as well. Now, I, I want to ask you to kind of walk us through uh, a typical day in the General Assembly for you and your staff. I mean. We, we fully admit that the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, uh, a big part of what we do is, is that we're lobbyists. We're, we're lobbyists for the fish and shellfish in the bay that, that have no voices, if you will. We're lobbyists for clean water. We're lobbyists for impressive and, and important habitat and natural filters like wetlands. So as you, you're a lobbyist and your team are lobbyists, I'm a lobbyist, T- tell us what a, a typical day in the General Assembly might be like, especially in this so- short session, which I've always been impressed. You know, Virginia legislature gets started early in the morning and goes late in the afternoon, if not into the evening. It, it you, you had some long days. <laughs> there were some long days, that's right, and long days for legislators as well. We do have the, one of the shortest sessions in the country, as I mentioned earlier, so as you can imagine, things move very, very quickly, and you have to be prepared for almost anything to come up. Um, thousands of bills are introduced thousands. each session. Thousands. Thousands. Yes. So simply just tracking where a bill is and when it's going to be heard next is a large component of what we're doing. And while some folks are tracking, our staff scientists are evaluating each bill to determine the potential impact on the bay. And while our scientists are doing that, others such as myself are talking to legislators directly to ask them questions and make sure they understand our position on certain bills. And I would say too, there's a lot of things we're doing behind the scenes for advocacy. We're working with our members and our partners to make sure they know what they can do to make a difference on certain bills. So. It's, like I said, a lot of moving parts, and 
I think the Virginia team, despite all of that, has a lot to be proud like of. Like a great symphony, it all comes together some of the time. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned uh, our members and, and other partner organizations. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. But the other thing that, that, that we do so well, I think, is bring our lawyers into the team, working with the scientific and technical people to analyze the consequences of some of these bad bills and to work and, and develop ways to promote the ones, the bills that we're supporting. So the CBF has that multidimensional team, and as we were talking about with you in terms of human health, but also the legal aspects, the scientific and technical aspects, and we bring it all together uh, in a way that I think few other organizations are able to do. Mm-hmm. The legal review is absolutely yeah. critical. So uh, let's let's end with 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 two um, two thoughts, two two things. One is any advice now. I know it's the end of the session, but things that our members have done, uh, drawing on examples, and things they can do going forward. And a lot of people don't realize just because the general assembly is not in session does not mean work isn't getting done and that the General Assembly and uh, members of the legislature are not focusing on issues. So uh, maybe a few examples of, of what our members and supporters can do. Oh, that's a great question. I'm, I'm glad you asked it. Well, uh, this session we actually partnered with Lynn Haven River Now and James River Association, two other conservation groups on what we call Clean Water Day, so that citizens could join us, learn about issues, and walk around to meet their representatives and talk to them about clean water in their own words. So that is an awesome way to get involved if you're in Richmond and you're able to do that during session. But there's also lots of ways to get involved if you're not in Richmond. Um, I would say look up your legislator. If you don't already know who they are, make an appointment at their local office when they're not in Richmond. Write them a good old-fashioned letter. That's a great way to um, show your support for clean water. And I think that, generally speaking, legislators do love from hearing from their constituents who live in their district, and that's what they were elected to do. So we should um, make sure we take advantage of getting to know them. Well, that's very well said and, of course, applies to Maryland, Pennsylvania, the other states, Delaware, New York, West Virginia, and certainly uh, the federal level as well. I, if, if I've been impressed uh, by any concept in the 40-some years I've worked here, it's that legislators have, have told me directly over and over and over again, we want to hear from our constituents. We, they, you know, and they really value that and they pay attention. And so people always say, what can I do to help CBF? What can I do to help the Bay? Uh, staying informed, getting informed, going to our website, looking at the issues, and then getting on the phone, uh, getting in your car, going to the district office, or as you say, writing a letter and communicating that to your elected officials at the local, state, and federal level really does make a difference. So it's a good point to end on. Rebecca LaPrell, thank you so much. Uh, good work. Um, maybe take uh, an afternoon or two off now. you got a little breathing room, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad idea, but uh, Virginia team did a lot of the work. So thank you to them and our volunteers and our supporters for helping make this, this session a, 
a success. Yeah, We're very thankful. I, I, I was down there from time to time. I saw you from, from 7 in the morning to 7 at night, uh, right on through uh, every day. So uh, really great work. Um, for Rebecca LaPrell, CBF's Virginia Executive Director in Richmond, uh, this is Will Baker. Thanks so much for joining in on our podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving Chesapeake Bay. Thank you.